I want to talk to you this morning about promises. Jesus is a promise that was made and a promise that was kept by God the Father. But we live in a culture that, can I say, our culture over-promises and often under-delivers. <laughs> you can agree with that, right? We live in a, in a society that is quick to make promises. And we are quick to try to sell something, sell ourselves or sell a product or whatever it may be. We're quick to do that. And we'll oftentimes over-promise and then under-deliver. I'll call you tomorrow. You have any intentions of calling me tomorrow? You knew when you said it you weren't going to call me. Just one of those examples. But I want to tell you today that when God makes a promise, He keeps His promises. And so I want to take you, you know the Christmas story. You've grown up around it. I said this week, I said, Lord, there's oftentimes a great deal of pressure on preachers to say something new and unique on Christmas. I'm like, what in the world can I say that they have not heard? And he said, why do you feel like you have to say something they haven't heard? He said, what if you just tell them the, the old, old story? You know, the one that, that's been in this word and been repeated a thousand times and read a million times. Why do you feel like you have to tell them something new, Kevin? Tell them that same truth that still saves people, that still sets people free. Tell them that I'm a promise-keeping God. That when I make a promise, I keep it. And I said, okay, I can do that. So I actually want to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis at the fall. Because at that fall, in that moment where the great deceiver deceived Adam and Eve and they had that fall, do you realize that God made a promise at that very moment? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is actually speaking to the serpent and He says, Out of this woman, Eve, out of her seed will come one. And Satan, he's going to bruise your head. Now, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your, your head. And that was a promise of the coming of Jesus. And it was at the very moment of the sin. Can I tell you, at the moment of your greatest sin, there is a promise of God there. Can I tell you, at the, the deepest, darkest, most lonely, discouraged moment of your life, I think that was what some of what Molly was, was picking up on. Is our heart being sick sometimes from, from promises that haven't come of, of dark and discouraging moments. Picking up on that. But I can tell you at that darkest moment, at that place of your deepest doubt, there is a promise of God over your life. And He spoke that promise over them. And then He sent many a prophet. And He said that I'm sending a Messiah, I'm sending a, a Savior. He is going to rule on the throne of David. David was their greatest king. Israel's heart for David, there was none greater. There's still none greater. They, they talk about Solomon, but David, the great king. And the prophet said, this Savior is coming. He's coming out of the lineage of this great king David. And they said, boy, this has got to be a good king. And the prophet said he's going to establish a kingdom. And they're like, whoo, man, we're longing for that kind of kingdom. 
And he said that, that he was going to make a, a new covenant with them. And these prophets spoke. And they spoke. And they spoke. And time went on and they spoke. Until we get to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he says, hey y'all, wake up. Wake up, listen. He's, he's near. And he's here. And you got to make way for the promise. And there were some that believed him, and others they said, We're tired of your promises. We, we're tired of waiting. To give you some sense of how long they had waited, you know, I mentioned John the Baptist when he spoke and began to prophesy, Jesus is coming, he's near. The last time God had spoken through the prophets was 400 years back. Ooh, some of you thought y'all been waiting on a word for a long time. <laughs> 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. You won't be tested on that afterwards. Intertestamental period. It is a period of 400 years when the last prophet Malachi spoke to John the Baptist coming on the scene. It had been 400 years. If you think that's a long time, it had been 4,000 years. Bible scholars said I didn't add it up, so I don't know. 4,000 years since that original sin took place that the Savior was born. 4,000 years. And so I, I bring all that to tell you that there are times where we feel like we simply have waited all we can wait. That we can't wait any longer. There's this urgency inside of us. Have any of you ever been urgent for a breakthrough from God? You're like, I have got to have a breakthrough. This promise of God, I've got to see this thing come. Can I tell you that when it comes to timing, God's urgency is not like ours. I probably didn't even have to say that because you probably already figured that out. I just want to confirm for you through Scripture that there are times when we say, this thing is urgent. He has got to move now. The guy says, no, I don't. No, no, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm waiting for the appointed time. I'm waiting for the, the right time. You want me to move now. I want to move when it's right. You may have to decide if you want God to move now or when it's best for you. Do you realize that that promise that it says in Scripture that the Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world? That Jesus Christ was already in the making. It was, it was a promise. He was there. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And He was preparing. He was going to send Himself. All of that happened before we got in a mess. Can I tell you that even in your urgency and even in your waiting, when you're not sure if God is going to come through, can I tell you, He already provided the answer before you had the problem. That's good news, isn't it? That's a Christmas message all wrapped up in one. That before you even realized you had a problem, He'd already started the answer in the making. It was already in the works. And so we feel this, this urgency. There's this thing of... Of can we wait? And people had started to, to doubt and to lose hope. And I want to talk to somebody in the room today that if you are in doubt and if you are losing hope, don't go out and try to create your own solution. We'll do that sometimes, won't we? 
If we think that the solution is not coming, if the promise is not coming, we'll jump in and we will try to create our own solution. And I will tell you that it is best to wait on the timing of the Lord. Some of the biggest mistakes of my life have been when I didn't think God was going to fulfill His promise and I thought I'd help Him out. And I'm like, whoo, that's why I'm not qualified to be God. And so I want to encourage you to wait on the timing of God to bring the promise to your life. And so Jesus comes and we find Him in Luke. Many of us read these stories. Some of you may wake up on Christmas morning and read Luke chapter 2 that when He came, But here's the thing about when He comes. He often doesn't come when we think He should, and He often doesn't look like we think He will. When He answers us, the the answer, the solution, it oftentimes doesn't look like we thought it was going to look. You see, they had this picture because of the prophets that had spoken. They were picturing great king sitting on a throne. They're captive to the Romans, they're thinking, surely He'll come and set us free. He'll start a war. He'll gather an army. He'll set us free. He's going to be a great king. And you know the story. He shows up as a baby in a manger to a couple that are pregnant under suspicious conditions. Everybody's sitting there going, I don't think that was, that was right. I think there was something going on with Mary and Joseph. Isn't it interesting that he puts himself in our conditions? The conditions we often find ourselves in. And and so he shows up in ways that that they didn't expect. And and then he starts to talk. and, And he starts to minister. And he's nothing like they thought he would be. He goes out and gathers a group of disciples. And the Israelites can't stand the Romans. And so Jesus, I think He did it just for spite. He goes out and calls Matthew a tax collector and says, come and be my disciple. And they're like, wait a minute. We thought you were coming to defeat the Romans and now you done got somebody that's in cahoots with the Romans. Do y'all know what cahoots means? That could be a black stock word. I don't know if that's used around the world. But He calls a tax collector. And then there was this, this rule that said if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his bag a mile, that was in his right to do so. But Jesus said if he tells you to carry his bag one, go and carry it two. Matthew 5, 41. He said if, if they ask you to carry it a mile, go on and carry it two. And then he told him in Matthew 5, this is the tax collector talking by the way. He said... You know what you do with your enemies? And they're all thinking Romans. Think about your enemy for a minute. Any of you got any enemies? Think about your enemy for just a minute. Somebody that you would consider an enemy. You got them in your head? You got that group of people in your head? That person in your head? Are you ready for this? Oh, I set you up. (laughs) Matthew 5.44, he said, love your enemies. What? Love my enemies? She said, yeah, that's, that's my message. Love your enemies. And then he said, you know what you do with those who curse you? Anybody ever wished bad of you? Said you ain't going to mount to nothing? 
You ain't, you ain't going to be nothing. That thing you're trying to do is going to fail. I don't even know why you're trying. They, they curse you and, and curse everything you do. You know what Jesus said to, to do to those people? In Luke chapter 6, 28, He said, bless them. Hmm. That Roman that's my enemy, if he tells me to carry it a mile, I'm to carry it too. I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to bless those who curse me. Can't you begin to wonder? They're like, who is this man? Who, who is he? He is not at all like we thought he was going to be. We thought he was coming on a white horse with the sword and he was going to kill our enemies. And now he's talking about blessing them and, and, and loving them. To the point, it gets to the, the lowest of all lows. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. I took that long to get you to a scripture. Because you know, if a pastor don't read a, a scripture, then he ain't preached, right? Hmm. So John the Baptist ends up in prison. And he probably thinks that this Jesus that he's prophesied about, surely he's going to come and get him out of prison, right? You've been in prison, and surely you thought that God was going to come and, and deliver you and get you, get you out of prison, was going to get you out of your spot. But Jesus doesn't come. He, he doesn't come to John the Baptist. And so what John does is, it says, while he was in prison, he heard the words of Christ, and he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, are you the expected one? Do you hear the doubt? He, even John the Baptist, who was the prophet who told of the coming of the Lord. Don't miss that point. He is the prophet who prepares the way of Jesus. Begins to have some doubts in his mind. Is this really the Christ? Is this really the promised one? And so when he says, are you the expected one? He says, I just got to ask, Jesus. Are you the one that I've been waiting for? Are you the one that I, that I preached to? I don't know about you, but if there was ever a moment Jesus' heart should have been broken, that's probably where it should have been. There are moments I wonder if His heart is broken over us wondering if He's really going to carry through on His promises to us. If He really will be who He says He will be. And if He will do what He says He will do. When we ask Him, are you sure you're the one? Are you, are you the one that we've expected? Are you the one that has been promised to us? Hmm. And so, most of us have felt that way. At some point, you've wondered, I don't know if He's coming through or not. And listen to what it says next. Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Have you ever gone looking for something else because you didn't think you could find it in Jesus? Ooh, did you ever go looking for love in somebody because you didn't know you could find it in Jesus? You will search the world over, will you not? Looking for love, giving yourself away, hoping somebody's going to love you back. Aren't you the one? You go up looking, aren't you the one? No, that's not the one. Aren't you the one? No, that's not the one. Aren't you the one? No, that's not the one. We, we search all over. At Christmas time, somebody's going to buy something that's not in this room. But you're going somebody outside there went and bought some stuff because they thought that they thought that'd be the thing. If I just have that, it's gonna, I'm going to be okay. I, I'm going to feel okay. Can I tell you that you will not be satisfied until the promise is in you, which is Christ the Lord. 
And if you get up from Him and walk and try to find Him in something else, you are always going to be disappointed. So what is He doing? One of my favorite Scriptures from Isaiah 9 is that that He is coming to set up a government. They thought He was coming to set up a government that was going to overthrow the Romans. After studying the Scripture and walking with Christ for a, a long time now, I believe that when the prophet said He was coming to establish a government, listen to me, that He was coming to establish self-government. Do you get that? that? That He was coming in order to establish His government inside of us. You see, they wanted Him to overthrow the Romans. We want Him to work on our spouse. We want Him to work on our family members because they're cutting up like cheetah. God, I need You to come and do something with these people. And so we want Him to come and do something that is going on on the outside. But I'm here to tell you today, after looking at the Scripture, I believe that when Jesus came, He came to set up self-government. He said, I came that I might teach you how to govern yourself. That you might know what to do inside of, of you. It is amazing how often I look at things on social media and I look at the news and everybody has an answer for everything. But the one answer we don't seem to have any solution for is what's going on in me. You ever notice that? How you can fix everybody? Now come on, we ain't talking but just with us, okay? It's just a, let's just get real for just a minute. Isn't it funny how me and you can fix everybody? I mean, fellas, we know how to coach. We know how to coach our college teams and our pro teams. We, we know how to be Cam Newton for the Panthers. We want to tell him how to be quarterback. We know how to be president of the United States. We know how to be the mayor. We know how to fix our friends' problems. They got problems. We got solutions. Can I tell you that most of the time we just experimenting on people? trying to find something to work. Just experimenting. Don't have any experience in that area. You know what I'm talking about. And I will tell you that He did not come to fix your spouse. He didn't come to fix your kids. He didn't come to fix the people at work. He didn't come to fix the government of the United States. Because I can tell you, if he didn't come to fix the Roman government, he don't care about the American government. You know what he cares about? He cares about living inside of your heart. And he is confident that when he lives inside of you, you will change what's going on in your family. When he changes your heart, it's amazing what will change in your kid's heart. Woo, man. I had the privilege, I mean it was a privilege, to sit down one time with a mama and she said, my child is crazy. <laughs> I mean, we had to have a meeting. She said, it's, it's bad. I don't know what to do. And what I realized is that this child had been quite a handful There are some children like that. We got our young people in the room. Sometimes y'all can be a handful. 
This child was a handful. And this mama had gotten frustrated. You ever gotten frustrated with your kids? Yeah. And, and so what this person had lost is they, they had lost their love for their child. And, and they just become frustrated and angry. And it was a battle and it was two heads pitted against each other. And that's what happens with, with parents and kids. It happens with husbands and wives. It happens with friends. We are, we are pitted against each other. And as I was watching, the Lord dropped this thing on me and He said, she came here because I called her, Kevin. I called her because I want you to tell her that I'm drawing her back into love. And I said, could it be that God called you here to my office, not because He wants to bring your child back, but because He wants to come and bring you back into His love? And it dropped like a bomb. <laughs> it was one of them moments that's fun being a pastor. It, you could see it on her eyes. She was like, oh my goodness. I said, could it be that God is just, He's wooed you. He's called you because He wants to draw you back into love with Him. And as, as He teaches you how to let Him love you, that then you'll be able to love her. And then regardless of what is happening in her life, you'll respond appropriately. Hmm. He don't come like we think He's going to come. He's not working on what we think He's working on. He's working on us. And so He comes to set up a, a self-government. They thought that they were going to get independence from Rome. He wants you to be independent from sin, from shame, from grief, from anything that would cause you not to be free. He He's not worried about the government. That stuff will come when people's hearts turn to God. That stuff takes care of itself. He said, I came that you might have life. Now, I don't know if that sounds like a good idea to you, but there is something when the God of the universe says, Kevin, I'm not concerned about all those things right now. I'm concerned about you. Mm, some of them should have got it like you did. Yeah. Yeah. When the God of the universe says, I'm concerned about your affairs. I'm concerned about your heart. I want to move in you. I want to set you free. There are a lot of people that believe John 3.16 is for the world, but not for them. You could be here in this room and you think, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You think, wow, that's good. That's probably for everybody but me. Can I tell you that Jesus came that he might come into your heart and make that true he wants to he wants to live and take up residence in our hearts they thought he was going to come and set up a throne in jerusalem do you know where he wants to dwell he wants to dwell in you did you know i don't think it broke his heart too much when the temple was destroyed that might that might be a shocking revelation to some of you that you're thinking, wait a minute, when that temple was destroyed, that must have been the worst thing. Do you know what? It didn't bother him all that much. Do you know why? Because he wanted to dwell in a temple not made by human hands. He wants to dwell in this temple called you, your heart. That's the place he's always wanted to live. He said, you could, yeah, the tabernacle, good. Yeah, a temple, good. Where do I want to dwell? I want to be in my people. 
You know where God wants to be? He wants to be in your heart. He wants to be in you, moving inside of you. He wants to do a a deep work inside of you. So, this year, I want to challenge you to something. I want to challenge you that when we begin to pray, oftentimes we're looking for God to change our circumstances and our situation. What I would challenge some of you this year is this. To say, this year, Lord, rather than be so worried about my circumstances, rather than be so worried about the people that are in and around my life, Lord, I want to be that stable in which you could be born in me. I want to be like Mary. It said Mary pondered those things in her heart. I want you to say, I'll be that person that will let you dwell inside of me. Would this year, Would you pray less about all the stuff that is going on and be more concerned with letting God dwell inside of you? Because I can tell you that you can walk through hell on earth and if Jesus is inside of you, you'll feel like you can walk on water. But if you've got to walk through hell on earth and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is chaotic. That is discouraging. That is frightening. That is anxious. And most people feel all of those things because they're trying to get God to move outside of them. And He says, I want to move in you. So my challenge is, will you let God work in you this year? And will you let God move in His timing? It is one of the the great chores of becoming spiritually mature. It's operating in the timing of God. Because there's two things I need. I need God, and I need timing. And a lot of times, what's happening is while we're waiting, God is moving stuff into place. You ever seen Him do it? Can somebody give me an amen? You thought he wasn't moving at all. And all the while, he was moving all the right pieces in all the right places to come together at all the right time so that when it happens, it goes, bam! And you look back, and if you're smart enough to see it, you go, my God. My great and mighty God. He did it again. That you would allow God to come in His timing. That if it ain't happening, and He ain't told you to do something, then sit and wait for God to move. And then the last thing is this. Allow Him to be able to move as creatively as He wants to move in your life to be the solution. Don't try to tell Him how He needs to fix your problem. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've done it too. I had a problem. I knew exactly how it needed to be straightened out. And that's how I began to pray. When it didn't go down that way, I got mad at God. I got upset. I couldn't believe why He was acting the way He was acting. And then when He fixed the problem, I'm like, hmm, yep, that was better. Scripture says He'll confound, confound the wise. He'll confound the wise. Can you imagine that day that He died on the cross? I think at a Christmas service, you've got to at least talk about the resurrection some, don't you? You know on that day, 
when that Savior was born, He was headed to a cross. And on that day, everybody that knew Him, and I believe the demons of hell thought, we got Him now. They thought, we got Him right where we want Him. We're about to kill the Savior of the world. And God and His Son and the Holy Spirit were sitting back saying, the moment that looks like our greatest defeat will be the moment of humanity's greatest victory. Amen. Come on. Huh? I, I clap at my own preaching on that one. Huh? At that moment where all of hell, I believe, and all of humanity said, that is the moment of His greatest defeat. We are sunk. We are done. It is over. That's the worst possible thing that could happen. God is saying, oh no. That is the moment of humanity's greatest victory. You see, you have got to allow Jesus to die so that He might raise again into resurrection life. Sometimes you may have to let some things die in your life so that resurrection may come. So just so we clear, I'm going to do you like the military, okay? The military, they'll tell you what they're going to tell you, tell you, and then tell you what they told you. So I told you what I was going to tell you, I told you, now I'm going to tell you what I told you. Let God do an inner work in you. A deep work inside of you this year. And you will not regret it. At the end of 2019, if you come back and said, I gave God permission to work inside of me, Kevin, and it was an absolute bust, I'll refund your money today. <laughs> Give you back every penny you spent. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. And you allow God to move in His time. And you allow God to answer your prayer and His promises. However He chooses. And I assure you, you will find what I titled the message. That a promise made is a promise kept. When it comes to God, a promise made is a promise kept. Say that to yourself. A promise made is a promise kept. God keeps His promises for His people.